Oh, good. Good morning. Good morning and hi, Jill. <laughs> Thanks for coming. I just met Jill this week. How fun is that? All right. Can you turn the lights down just a little? That'd be great. Feel like I'm on a star is born. <laughs> well, we're up to it. Hebrews chapter 11. Um, how fun is that? We've been um, working on Hebrews a long time um, and plugging along through uh, what um, the author of Hebrews was saying to, um, what, what was that? You want me to do something? Oh, okay. okay. Um, it's still kind of echoey though. All right, well, we'll try. There, that, that's not bad. That's not bad. Anyway, so we've been um, looking at what the author of Hebrews was trying to convince um, people who were looking at Jesus and considering him as a perfect substitute for an old covenant um, system. Uh, and talking, we, we've talked about over and over and over again, and almost like if Billy would say it would be a rondo, it would be like row, row, row your boat. It would be, uh, I'm saying it once, and I'm going to come back and say it again, and now I'm going to come back and I'm going to say it again. So the repeated sections of um, Jesus is superior, he's a superior a high priest, the covenant is better than the old covenant, um, it's superior, and we've talked about that over and over and over again. So now we're coming to the last section of Hebrews, chapters 11 and 12, and uh, and we're going to look at that. And here is some application for people who just love to have application. Here we are, we have arrived at this, and it's very heavy, and I I think Hebrews 11 is a pretty weighty chapter, uh, and that's why we gave it a lot of weeks in your homework to, um, we really took our time in Hebrews 11. How many lessons do we have? Four? Maybe even five? Four? Yeah, four lessons, so we broke it down in little chunks, so I don't want to take away what you're going to do in your small group time today um, or in the next couple weeks, so I'm going to do kind of an overview um, and not get into a lot of the details Let's go quickly back to chapter 12 um, when we um, just, I mean, chapter 10, I'm sorry. Um, There we go. Uh, Chapter 10, when we touched on the theme, this new theme of living by faith, we've talked about it up until now, but they just started to really look at it, and we're going to talk more about that today, about how we're going to talk about... um, it's, it's easy for us to understand what faith is when we look at other people and how they did it. And that's what chapter 11 is about. <clears throat> so we're going to start here. <clears throat> uh, now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And the first question I came up with <clears throat> when I was looking at this is, what is faith? And Billy, in the lesson, I think it was today's lesson, <clears throat> um, she asked a lot of questions, and it's good. Billy's been a uh, believer since she was a little girl. And so for her to ask basic questions again is, is uh, good. To always go back to the basics, it's a true principle in sports. You know, go back to the basics, you know, adjust your stand, you know, how's your swing, you know, get your eyes here, do this, do that, take your... 
it's important to go down back to the basics. So uh, what is faith? <clears throat> and I thought, gee, I should know this by now. I thought, but if I had to say what is faith and I had to really say what is it and define it and pull it up and just rattle it off, I think I'd be hard-pressed to really come up with a good a good definition <clears throat> and a good grasp on it. And so Billy asked a lot of questions today, and it's been they were good questions. Do I have faith? Uh, is it living? Does it ebb and flow like the waves of the sea? Does it peak? <clears throat> Does it disappear? Where does it come from? And can I will to have more? I hope you can talk about it more in your groups, but just to get started, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the first thing that popped into my head was all the places when Jesus um, used the word little faith. And I thought, well, let me see what that is. So I started looking at the little faith, um, the little faith scriptures. So let's look at this first one. There's four of them. Matthew 6:30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And my first response to that is to think, little faith, Jesus is saying I don't have enough faith. That's my first response. And I thought, like, I don't have enough. Somehow I should drum it up. I have a friend who her theology is that if you don't have enough faith, God won't heal you. And so it creates a distance between anybody who's sick and God because somehow i got to drum it up. So you know that... Uh, drumming it up and somehow having a formula to increase your faith is not the answer to that. So um, John Piper um, has a great thing, and it reminded me, got me back to uh, to what I think is the truth. I think what Jesus is saying here is not that you don't have enough faith, but you have too little faith in me and not enough faith, and you have too much faith in something else other than me. You have too little faith in me and not enough we all have enough faith. we got plenty of faith. It's just placed in the wrong things. And Tim Keller even says, we all have faith in something. Dallas Willard says, if I'm standing on the corner and I'm about to cross the street, whatever I'm thinking of at that moment is probably what I put most of my faith in. And I'd have to say for us, um, worrying about, uh, provision in this text example will you provide for me is a huge faith crossroad will you provide for me will you give me what i need will you give me enough to pay the bills will you give me enough of and some of it is just uh, entitlement for me will you give me uh, what i think i deserve will you um give me my coffee just right how I ask it at Starbucks when one pump or one this or two that or tall, short, you know, will I get exactly what I want? Um, so that's a, that's one. You have little faith. I'm going to go to another one. Matthew 16, 5. There's a lot of them in Matthew. The disciples had come to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up? And this is a great scripture, I think, to bring us into our review of all the, the faithful fathers that we have. 
that we're going to look at in a minute. Um, look back. Look back and remember God's faithfulness. And for these disciples, it wasn't long. He had just, Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. And the disciples are, are getting all lathered up about, are we going to have bread? Look back. Look back and say, has God provided for me? Has he provided for me? And, I, and I, when I worry about something and I look back and I thought, I have never once been without a meal. I have never once been without a roof over my head. I, not, not once. Not once. He has provided for me. And even if, even if I didn't have provision on my table, he would provide for me. He would provide for me. And even think these people, the disciples, also knew so many stories of the fathers of faith. He knew that uh, God had provided manna in the wilderness. They all knew that. They all knew that. But the percentage of their faith was on the here and now, and that one of the disciples had forgotten to bring bread to cross the, the sea. They had forgotten. So all of a sudden there's arm-waving. I've demonstrated that I'll supply for you, Jesus said. I have shown you that. The next one, number three, Matthew fourteen thirty-one, To Peter, who had tried to walk on the water, I gave the short version of that, and he started to sink. And Jesus said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, you know, Peter's a fisherman, spent a lot of time out on the water. For him, wind was bad news. Wind was a scary thing. He had experienced that, I'm sure, in storms before. And so he's looking at Jesus, and it was even his idea to call me out of the boat. And so he steps out of the boat, and he's, he's got his faith in the Lord, and he starts walking, and all of a sudden the wind comes up. And how many times have we had an experience that we're going in strong, going in strong, going in strong, and all of a sudden, whoops, you know, what happened? And my faith transferred from Jesus to something else. Um, I'm famous for predicting outcomes. I think just because it happened the same way three times, just because my husband didn't hear me three times, I know that the fourth time he won't hear me. But that's not true. I don't know that. And so at that moment, my faith has transferred from depending on God and being equipped and able through the Holy Spirit to love in a phenomenal way, uh, all of a sudden I'm, I'm counting in the flesh. And here it is, it's, it's the flesh and the spirit, the flesh and the spirit. He's in the spirit, in the spirit, and then in the flesh. And so that's the, the pattern of little faith. And this is the one that we all know well. Behold, there was a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of a man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? What is Jesus asking them for when he says, you have little faith? Here again, is he asking them to drum up more faith? It's not more faith, it's a transfer of faith. He's asking them to transfer 
their belief that they're going to die into his belief to come into an alignment into his kingdom thinking from the realm of natural to go into the realm of supernatural. He wants them to, to change, to trade, if you will, to put down what they believe and pick up something that is, is like we said in chapter 11, verse 1, unseen. So what he's asking them to do is to say, you're not going to perish here. I'm not going to perish here. And I'm really never going to perish. I have eternal life. I have eternal life. And that's what we can say. We're really never. We're immortal people. We're going to live forever. So there's no robbing at the deathbed. There's no sting. There's no victory. That we are eternal beings. And we'll talk about that a little bit later too. So really, they weren't going to perish. But it is a supernatural realm to think, wow, this is a pretty bad storm. I'm going to die. I get that. I totally get that. But they would never perish. And so, and besides that, Jesus was with them. So that's the, the picture, too, of uh, the difference between the spirit and the flesh, if you ask me, is that Jesus is with me or he's not with me in my mind. He's always with me. But do I count that he's with me? So let's look now at this again. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we've got two words there that are very much the same. Uh, And this is the kind of writing, um, the kind of writing that's in the Psalms. It's poetic language. It's overlapping language. So it's kind of like saying it once and then gently saying it again. So it's kind of a double double, uh, message here. Assurance um, was a fun word for me because um, in this uh, definition is the word stasis. And stasis is a medical term. It's probably also an engineering term. I don't know. But it means when something's standing still, when you have water that's not moving, or when you have, for me, when you have uh, a person who's been laying in bed for a long time and there's no circulation, uh, they have get a stasis wound. It's a wound that comes because there's no circulation. They're not moving. So stasis means something that's standing still that's not moving. And so assurance means that I'm standing in a good way, not moving, that I'm standing under something that is not moving, that there's no shifting sand. I'm standing under and coming under the headship of something that does not move. That's just a, a very powerful picture. Um, and also this word um, in the Weist Bible study says that um, this word, the assurance, is like a title deed that's in a safe deposit box. It's in the vault. But there is a physical assurance. There's a title deed. That's a legal term. This hypostasis is a legal term for a, a written, visible document that's tucked away. You can't see it, but it's there. It's the assurance of what you own. Conviction, or in some translations, is evidence. Um, It means that by which invisible things are proved and we are convinced of their reality. 
So together, these two words mean that faith is a way of seeing that's in line with the viewpoint and mind of God. Faith is a way of seeing that comes into alignment with the viewpoint and mind of God. Because God is our title deed. Another way to say it is that God gives the gift of faith and I open it. So I'm not drumming it up. This gift is given, it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's a free gift. Therefore, it says in Hebrews 4, 16, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to find help in time of need. Another way. Faith is the channel through which we receive God's gift. And then God gives us examples in Hebrew 11 too. For by faith men of old gained approval. They lived by that faith. And they demonstrated it to us. They received the unseen and they acted on what God asked of them. So let's talk about some of those guys. Which is very fun. Because I love all my relatives. They're all my relatives. All these guys. They're my uncles. One of the favorite things I love to do, I love, love, love to do, is to find a ribbon that starts in Genesis and weaves all the way to Revelation. I just, I just think that is so solid. It's so, oh, I knew it was true. <laughs> so uh, here at the beginning, when Jesus created light, And he created the stars, and he said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. Then we'll pop up to Genesis 15. And God took Abraham outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count those stars. Count those stars. If you are able. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. And when I look up into the heavens and I see that, I think, This is how many people are going to be with me in heaven. This is what heaven's going to look like. These are all Abraham's descendants by faith, not by being born Jewish, like the Pharisees and Sadducees thought. It's by faith. And so here are all the people, and I look at this is going to be a big heaven, God, for all these people. And I think it gives me security. It gives me assurance. Fast forward, Sarah's childless for 10 years, and it looks like it's not going to happen. Right in the middle of the stars, and she's got a place up there. Sarah's childless for 10 years. Looks like it's not going to happen, so they hatch a scheme. And an 86-year-old, Abraham has a child with his maid Ishmael. And 13 more years, it still looks like it's not going to happen. Abraham's 99, and God says again, I will multiply you exceedingly. He uses the phrase, many nations, and he doesn't even have one child yet. And then God took note of Sarah, and he said, 
And the Lord did for Sarah as he promised. And each one of us is a descendant of Abraham, a child of God, a member of heaven. And each time I look there, I'm supernaturally given faith to believe that that's what heaven's going to look like. The end of the story. This many believers singing God's praises forever. It's the storyline that I believe. The stars remind me of how many past, present, and future will be descendants of Abraham. This chapter of Hebrews is about looking at the past, looking at God's faithfulness, soaking in the stories of our forefathers and how God got them through, how God kept his promises, and this storyline is one of his faithfulness. In Genesis 17, 7, God says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and to your descendants after you. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. This is our title deed. The next one, Exodus 6, 7, and 8, to Moses, he said. Genesis, I'm going to Exodus. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and deliver you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you, and me. I will give it to you as a possession, as a title deed. I am the Lord. Let's look at Ezekiel. He's saying the same thing to everybody. Ezekiel 36:28 and I the Lord will be their God and my servant David shall prince be prince among them I am the Lord I have spoken This is 580 BC 1500 years later saying the same thing I am the Lord I am their God I'm your God Hebrews 8:10 put a picture with this one I will put the laws, put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So this is even rewritten in Hebrews 8, verse 10. So the story, um, we've been talking a lot about stories here um, with Dan Allender, different, you know, reciting back our own stories, and this is quite the story. Part one, the external covenant, the outline, the Ten Commandments. I call it an outline. Um, And part two, I will transform you. I will convince you that we are, you and me, are of the same kingdom. And the relational covenant is forged by the Son. So when God says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, He said it in 2000 B.C. to Abraham. He said it to Moses and showed him, delivered him 
in 1300 BC. 580 BC, he forecasted it to Ezekiel. And Jesus, I guess, died in 30 AD or so. He became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation and fulfilled that covenant. So when Jesus says, why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? This is the backdrop, the title deed that he has in his pocket that he offers to say, why are you afraid given these proofs? I love art. Why are you afraid? This is a statue carving of the prodigal son. This is not only a God who proves and has reliable evidence. He is a loving God. And if you think that's typical, Allah is not a loving God. If you're a Buddhist, you don't even have an ultimate God. This is a very unique thing to have a God who loves. Can I put my faith on this? Can I transfer my faith from the wind, from the storm, from the threat of every not enough? Can I transfer it? And even the sting of death. Here's my conviction, my assurance. Not only do I have a great cloud of witnesses to look at, I've been offered the ability God has given me through faith the ability to fix my eyes on him, the author and perfecter of my faith. So we're in the third part of our outline, the hope of faith. Uh, And I want to zoom down to the last verse of chapter 11, which is the best one if you ask me. I think this is the hope of faith on your outline. Um, I'm going to skip those verses, but turn over to the back page of the first. The first. This is in, uh, I think, next week's lesson, but I wanted to still bring it forward. Um, This is uh, John Piper. I think he's one of our better theologians right now. I think he just really can break things down. He's a great teacher. And this is his exposit on, uh, on the end of chapter 11. Um, If we go, I'm going to just hop over into chapter 12. We talk about the great cloud of witnesses, which are all the people who have died and who have gone to heaven. Uh, And so this is the verse right before that. And let's read read it together here with me. In other words, the final perfected salvation of all the saints who have gone before the resurrection of the body the reign of Jesus on the new earth, the restoration of all things will not happen without all the runners finishing the race. They finish the race, they get the ribbon, but not the gold cup. Then they circle around and crowd in on the sidelines of the marathon route to wait for us because God says no one gets the glory of final perfection until all have finished the race. They will not be made perfect without us. So run the race, fight to persevere in faith and love and obedience, labor to finish the great commission and reach all the unreached peoples, knowing that the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before 
will not be perfected until the church on earth finishes its appointed course. When all the runners are across the line, then the joy of everyone will be given more because we will be glorified not one at a time, but all together in one great consummation of the kingdom. That's the first motivation. Look back to the witnesses who have gone before. They have finished their course by faith, so you can too. All the saints wait with longing and excitement for you to finish the race. What lies ahead, you see it in their faces, is an indescribable divine act of resurrection and restoration and glorification of all the saints when the last one crosses the finish line. So lay aside the weights and sins and run. (laughs) Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Okay, and now back to your first page. We'll go back to the hope of faith. Verse 39. I, um, uh, you guys know that I'm a hospice nurse, and um, God always gives me lots of presents, you know, before I come up to teach. Um, and last week, um, I walked in to see a lady, and I saw on her shelf... Uh, a Bible that was well-worn. It was really almost falling apart. So I knew that I was in for a beautiful conversation with a woman who would probably not be on the earth in the next six months. Uh, And I figured she had something to say to me. Um, And I was right. I was right. Um, That woman, uh, probably well into her 80s, knew God's word, knew God's word well. And at this time, when she's in a facility where she didn't get a whole lot of attention and not very good care, um, she had God's word to speak uh, while she was sitting there. And what she said to me, the first thing she said to me when I sat down, um, and I've been practicing it again, is no eyes have seen, no ears have heard. No mind can conceive what God has in store for those who love him. So while she was sitting there by herself, she just kept repeating God's word and kept repeating God's word, and she's ready to cross the finish line. She's ready to go home. And how the cloud of witnesses must be standing there at the line looking down saying, yeah, you go, you go, because every nurse that comes in there, every person that comes in there, she hits them with a, you know, with a battering ram of scripture. And the way she said it was just so powerful. And I asked her even to pray for me before I left because I thought, wow, I'm not here to help you. That's for sure. You're here to help me. But this is where, I think, in these three verses that I love, where even at the finish line we transfer our faith, we transfer my faith, and I'm so comfortable living here. People keep standing up and getting out of their <clears throat> chairs and falling down and uh, when they get older, and it's just because they've spent their whole lives being able to just stand up and walk. And it's counterintuitive for them to say, I can't stand up and walk. It just doesn't seem right. 
So they keep standing up and getting going. And so even spiritually, we have to get used to the fact that that uh, God is saying there's a new way for me. There's a new way for me to think. There is a supernatural way for me to think. There's a spiritual way for me to think and act compared to the human way that I've been doing it for so long and is my second nature. So some of these um, verses are the ones that I use on deathbeds, um, and they're the ones that um, when I get struck with devastating news or hardships, this is the supernatural that I grab onto and pull down. My citizenship is in heaven. I don't belong here. From which I eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of his power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. I don't live here. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenlies. And this is my favorite. I call it my Xena princess warrior verse. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. Afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Do you know what that means? If I'm never going to be destroyed, you know what that means? That means I am Xena, Princess Warrior. I'll never be destroyed. I will never be destroyed. I'm eternal. And I got to keep saying that. I got to keep trusting that. I got to keep transferring my doubts into those faith statements. I will never be destroyed. Death has lost its sting. Doesn't have any victory over me. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. That's our hope of faith. Our hope of faith. And it's all over scripture. And I'm going to challenge everybody. This is my little thing. On Facebook, when somebody writes something that's devastating and horrible news, the answer is not, I am praying for you. The answer is, you're afflicted in every way but not crushed. I want to see that. I want to see it from us. I want to see that you give supernatural, God-grounded belief statements to women who are suffering and in pain. The answer is, you're struck down, but you're not destroyed. This is hope. This is hope. Not, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. We can do better than that. We can do better than that. We've got supernatural words. We've got a supernatural God. We've got a cloud of witnesses who have shown us how to do it. And this is, this is our hope. We have, we have a future of hope, and we, can, and we can offer that to people who are suffering. It doesn't mean we're saying skip over it and get over it. That's not what we're saying. We're giving you strength. We're giving that person strength and hope for our true future. So um, I think left a little time to spend in your group, so let's pray, and um, you go ahead and talk about Cain and Abel and all those cool guys. That's really fun.
We'll find Jesus. Um, you've given us so much evidence. You've given us so much evidence of truth. You've, you've given me the Holy Spirit to believe it and to understand it. And I ask you that as I stand on a street corner, as my car is idling at the stop sign, that uh, train my thoughts to be your thoughts. Help me speak your word. Help me get more of your gospel under my belt that I can understand you more. Reveal yourself to me, Lord. Disclose yourself to me so that I can know you more and I can speak you more and I can be mindful of a world that does not have you and I can be a blessing in the world of suffering and the places that are devastating in the injuries and the diagnoses uh, and the dying, uh, whether it's at the end of life or it's spiritual death or loss of hope. Help me, help me, Jesus. Remind me, Holy Spirit, of those words that you have printed for me through and through Scripture to speak at the right time. Pray for our small groups that we would have meaningful time glorifying you this morning. And thank you for every woman who fought through the battle of getting here this morning through aches and pains or little ones tugging at their skirts or just seemed like it was so difficult to come. Would you bless them today, Jesus? Keep their eyes open so that they can receive that blessing from you. Even if it's just the breeze rattling in the palm trees or the way the light is shining on the on a reflection of some kind that they would recognize you and feel comforted. You're a great and heavenly Father. Thank you. Thank you for coming to rescue us. In your name we pray, amen. Oh, and now we're going to sing a really cool song, and it's on the back of your handout.